Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for November 3rd, 2017. And we have a uh, full 12 game slate of basketball. This is the first one that Matt and I've recorded that's a full 12 games. So, one thing that makes a 12 game slate just inherently different from a smaller slate is since there's more games, you really don't have to dig for value. Like, you don't have to say, like, oh, this guy could be a value with 3,700. He could play a lot of minutes or whatever. You could really just say, like, oh, this guy is a good play. I know he's going to play a lot of minutes. And that's that's really the guys who I'd like to focus on for a slate this big. I also tend to be a little bit more cash-oriented for a slate this big. A lot of times, actually, I won't even play any GPP. I'll just play cash games. And I'll really just focus on who are the guys who I think are definite good value plays for their price, and I know we're going to play a lot of minutes. So first game on the slate is Chicago at Orlando. From Chicago's side of the game, I think it's pretty easy in terms of Laurie Markkinen is the guy on the Bulls offense. He's been really consistent this year. He's scored at least 28 fantasy points in every single game so far, and I think he's scored over 30 now in five consecutive games. So at 6,400, Laurie Markkinen's a really solid play. He has uh, a lot of upside, a lot of floor to him. And then somebody else who I think could be really interesting is Chris Dunn's minutes have been going up since he came back from the finger injury, and he's going to be the Bulls' starting point guard at some point. It could be tomorrow. I'm not totally sure. But if he starts, I think he's a really solid play at 4,700. Overall, he's not a player that I'm particularly high on, except if the Bulls are going to start him, the idea would have to be it's to play him a lot of minutes. The Bulls traded Jimmy Butler to get Chris Dunn, so they have to be high on Chris Dunn. If they're not high on Chris Dunn, that trade makes zero sense. So at some point, Chris Dunn's going to be the starting point guard. He's probably going to play around 35 minutes. He's young. So as soon as he gets in the starting lineup, he's going to be a really strong value play until his price goes up. So from the Orlando side of the game, we kind of need more information at this point. Alfred Payton is questionable with the hamstring injury. He's missed a lot of time. If he isn't able to play, Shelvin Mack at 3,800 is going to be a solid value play. DJ Augustine's already been ruled out. So 3,800 for a starting point guard is a good price. And they just don't have somebody else to handle the ball. So there's going to be a lot of minutes for Shelvin Mack at the point guard. He might even play upwards of like 40 minutes if if Alfred Payton isn't able to play because there's just nobody else to handle the ball. So for the Bulls with Chris Dunn, I guess at the very least it's created enough of a logjam where you definitely can't consider anyone else in the Bulls' backcourt. I think Dunn does make sense, even if he's coming off the bench. It's a cheap price for someone who probably will play a good amount of minutes even in a reserve role. So I think Dunn is usable regardless of if he's starting, but he's he's a very, very good pick for us, I guess. If um, There's a lot of value there if he does end up in the starting lineup, but I do think he's usable anyway. Markinen for sure, too. Um, for Orlando, nothing much to add, I guess. There, There's just extra value for everyone, probably, if Alfred Payton doesn't play. So Shelvin Mack is the obvious one, but would you use any of the other guards more so without Payton being there? Um, I guess Mack isn't going to play the whole game, and it probably creates more usage for some of the other guards. Well, here's the thing. The players on the, on Orlando are all priced up because Peyton hasn't played basically the entire season. So I wouldn't look at Peyton being out as a benefit to anybody other than Sheldon Mack because it's just kind of the status quo for what the production has been. But I would look at, at, at it as if Peyton does play because everybody's priced for the production without Peyton. It's a really big downgrade. Certainly to Evan Fournier, who's been playing backup point guard minutes, he's going to have the ball in his hands less. And then there's a little bit less usage for guys like Aaron Gordon and, uh, and Vucevic, who have seen the ball in their hands more with Peyton not in the lineup. Yeah, and I'm looking at the prices now, too. Evan Fournier at 6900 That's Yeah, that's, that's a lot for him. So I don't even think he's a good play, even if Peyton is out. 
Uh, that kind of makes sense. I guess it could create more minutes for maybe, let's say Terrence Ross is the one guy who's cheap enough where it could make a difference. But other than that, I, I, I guess it makes sense. So next game on the slate, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers at the Washington Wizards. So the Cavs have just sucked to start the year. I, they're just not a particularly good team, how they're currently constructed. I think LeBron is a good play because he's LeBron. He's been having a ton of huge games. Actually, I think it's a little weird that he's still only priced at 10600 because the only thing that's really stopped him from going for 60-plus points is the Cavs getting blown out recently. The Cavs have just been ridiculously bad, especially against the spread, where the Cavs have been favored by double-digit points and been losing those games by double-digit points. So I think LeBron and Kevin Love, those are the plays for me from that side of the game. And then we'll kind of have to pay attention to what the Cavs starting lineup is going to be just because Tristan Thompson is expected to be out like two to four weeks after getting injured the other day. So it's possible Channing Fry, 3,600, he might start at center and become an interesting play. I think most likely they're going to go with the starting lineup of Crowder back in the lineup at uh, power forward and then play Kevin Love at center. So Love at 7,500, really strong play. He's going to have to play a lot of minutes. If Crowder starts at 4,300, he is a decent value. And then from the Wizards side of the game, I think John Wall is definitely in play for me at 9,700. He hasn't had any big games to start the year, but he's still he's getting Derrick Rose defense. And Wall is also somebody, huge home road splits for his career. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he has something like averaging, I think, four or five or so more fantasy points at home for his career versus the road. He is the most significant splits of anybody in the league. So him at home is always something I like to target. Good matchup against Derrick Rose. Otto Porter is currently listed as questionable, but I expect him to play. That injury report came out on Wednesday, and he practiced in full on Thursday. So the injury report just hasn't been updated. I think Otto Porter plays on Friday. Uh, I think that he's a fine play at 7,100. He's been playing really well in a lot of minutes this year. Bradley Beal is a good play. John Wall is a good play. And that's going to be where my Washington exposure is. Markeith Morris is expected to start, but he's on a 16 to 20 minute limit. So can't really play him at that price in so few minutes. Yeah, so the Cavs are actually 1-7 against the spread overall this year, and they haven't covered a single game at home. They're 0-5 against the spread at home. So they've definitely underachieved by a very significant degree. So maybe they are undervalued a bit, but you could definitely also argue that they're just not very good. And this is something that we said about the Cavs even before the season started, that the roster construction doesn't make sense with Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade taking shots away from Kevin Love and even from LeBron and at least until Isaiah Thomas comes back, but even maybe when Isaiah Thomas is back, there's um, there's really not much reason to be that optimistic about the Cavs other than they have LeBron, so maybe it'll work itself out just because LeBron is so good. But the Cavs have also been terrible defensively. They're last in the league in defensive efficiency in points per possession. So this is definitely a really good spot for the Wizards, but I'm thinking about this game in terms of a game stack, and I guess it's probably just not that doable because the players are so expensive. So I guess uh, you probably can only use two or three guys from this game, really, because everyone's everyone costs enough that there's no way you can fit six or seven guys from this game in the same lineup. Yeah, you just it, there would just have to be a lot of value plays available. Like if uh, if Shelvin Mack ends up starting because Peyton's out, then something like that. And then even so, I think a game stack would look something like Crowder, Love, LeBron, and then probably Wall and Beal. Like I think that's where it makes sense. Then you just have to have a bunch of value plays available. That's the only way that it would really be doable. So the next game on the slate is the Milwaukee Bucks at the Detroit Pistons. 
Uh, Giannis has been priced all the way down to 11200 I think he's a solid play at that price. Uh, John Henson at 4500 He's a little difficult to trust, but if he is going to be starting again at 4500 I think that he is in play. He started uh, last game. Let's see. How many minutes did he end up playing? He played, yeah, he started last game. He played 29 minutes. Jason Kidd is apt to change his center rotation at any, really, any given moment. But if Henson starts, I think he's a fine play at 4,500. Um, Malcolm Brogdon at 5,200. I think that's fair. There's not really a like a ridiculous amount upside there, except there's a lot of floor. He's been playing 30 plus minutes. I like Brogdon. He's a solid player. I think that he's usable, especially in cash games. From the Pistons side of the game, one thing that's really interesting for the Pistons is that we saw the report come out today that they're in trade talks with the Suns about flipping Reggie Jackson for Eric Bledsoe. If that happens, Ish Smith is almost min price, so he would become a really strong value play if that trade gets done. And then also from the Detroit side of the game, just Andre Drummond, the minutes are up this year, he's making free throws, he's playing really well, and the, the best place to attack the Bucks defense is at the center position, especially with all the rotating and minutes with Greg Monroe out, they've kind of been... Know a little bit more in flux where sometimes it's it's been Henson in and the backup is Thon Maker and then all of a sudden they played DJ Wilson some minutes last game also with the backup so I think Drummond is a strong play I think that he should have his way with any of Henson uh, Thon or DJ Wilson so Chris Middleton was actually by far the Bucks best player last game I imagine he'll be fairly high owned for a twelve game slate but. It's also, it's 12 games, so ownership doesn't really matter. I guess Middleton just, 7,200 is a little expensive for him, so I'd probably rather use the other guys you mentioned. Brogdon seems like a good value almost every night at roughly 5,000. That's been about his price for every game this year. For Giannis, though, I guess because there, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of cheap value plays at present time, so it might be a little harder to use Giannis, but... If a couple of the injury situations that we've mentioned and a couple more that we will mention, if if some of those pan out where a couple guys miss the, miss their games, then I guess Giannis becomes a lot more usable if you can fill your lineup with cheaper guys. So I guess whether or not either of us uses Giannis will probably be largely dependent on what kind of cheap value plays there are uh, when we get closer to the game starting. Yeah, and then Giannis also. I mean, paying up for him in cash is just really safe. He's had... I think more 60-plus point games than any player who isn't on the New Orleans Pelicans. And there's just a lot of there's a lot of floor, to be honest. We saw last year he went on a stretch of something like 31 games in a row where he scored at least 45 fantasy points. So he's not going to kill any roster that he's on. Very safe cash game play. Uh, next game on the slate, Indiana Pacers at the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, Miles Turner is doubtful to play with the concussion, so I'll expect him to sit. Another star for Demonis Sabonis, who's just been awesome this year. Uh, so is Oladipo. And it really makes me wonder the impact that Russell Westbrook has on the players around him, because obviously the Pacers got Sabonis and Oladipo in return for Paul George. Paul George has played much worse in Oklahoma City, and Oladipo and Sabonis played much better in Indiana. So it's a small sample size. We can't blame it all on Westbrook, except definitely fair to question how much better or worse does he make the guys around him. Sabonis at 6,300, I think is a really strong play. He's been over, let's see now, 
And also, for me to say that I think Sabonis has been good is a big turn for me because I was so anti-Sabonis coming into the year. Like, when he first started, like, I thought he was not a good play when he was priced at 3500 And he's now scored at least 36 points in uh, five of his last six starts. So Sabonis, he's, he's done a really good job rebounding. He's been a great passer out of the post. So I think he's a strong play in this game. And then from the Philly side of the game, Joel Embiid is still just too cheap for me. He's scored over 38 fantasy points in every game so far this year. He's a really strong play for cash games and for GPP. Uh, ben Simmons at 9,100. He's a fine play for cash games and GPP. Um, let me see who else. I don't know if there's anybody else who I really feel strong about. TJ McConnell's been playing really well, but I don't really buy into what McConnell's been doing. He's shooting a ridiculously high percentage. He's been getting a ton of steals, and that's not going to keep up. So 4,900, I, I don't really trust McConnell, and he still has had pretty high ownership in GPPs, so I'm off of him. So I'm a little concerned about blowout risk in this game. We actually don't have a Vegas line, but I, I think this will be one of the higher-owned spots with how well Sabonis has played, and Embiid and Covington and Simmons are all coming off really good games. So ownership, less important, as always, with large slates, but... I think the combination of high ownership, which there probably will be because all these guys have played so well recently, and then the potential blowout risk, which I guess you can speak to, um, I think that I'll probably be a little bit lighter on this game. Um, Maybe worth stacking, but I think there's not a ton of floor with these guys because there's a decent chance for a dud if it's a blowout. And also for Sabonis, if he's going up against Embiid, who is really, really good defensively, it's, it's a lot tougher of a matchup than he's had. So are you worried about that all and then the Embiid matchup for Sabonis? So I, I would say that maybe there's a slight amount of blowout risk. For Sabonis, it's more that just he's played so far above what his current price is that I think that it is a downgrade for him going against Embiid. But as somebody who's averaging like 40 points per game as a starter and only needs 30 points to hit value, for, or 31 points to hit value for this game, I still think that he's a fine play. I'm more concerned about the blowout risk for guys like Simmons than I am for Embiid. Because Embiid, the mo- Embiid played 30 minutes last game. That's the most he's played all season. Embiid has been regularly hitting value playing 25 minutes, playing 26 minutes. So I'm not too concerned about Embiid not getting minutes towards the end of the fourth quarter because in general he's not playing that many minutes anyway. And he, there's going to be a point in the season later on where we're seeing Embiid play like 35-plus minutes, and he's going to be priced well over 10000 and then I think it's going to be a concern. But for him at an 8300 price, I'm not really – I don't find that much of an issue. He's playing 28 minutes a game this year and averaging 43 fantasy points and hasn't scored less than 38 in a single game yet. Yeah, I guess because of the way that Embiid's minutes are structured where he's playing six to eight minutes in each quarter, and I guess that's the maximum for him – you're not counting on him to play nine or 10 minutes in the fourth quarter like you are with most starting players. Embiid probably is only entering the game with five minutes left or maybe plays three minutes at the beginning of the fourth and then three minutes at the end of the game. So if it is a blowout, Embiid probably only loses out on two or three of his minutes. I think that, yeah, the blowout risk definitely affects him less. So that's that's a fair point. Um, And because of that, I'll definitely be higher on Embiid than I am on Simmons. I also think production relative to price Embiid is just a better pick than Simmons. He's been better per minute, and the minutes are maybe a concern for Simmons in this game. So even if you're not worried about blowout risk, I think I still prefer Embiid. And then I guess Sabonis is usable, but 
I would say that Embiid's probably my favorite player from either team. So next game, Houston Rockets at the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, one thing I was saying to Matt before the podcast, and I'm starting to get a little concerned about the pace that the Rockets are playing at. The Rockets have been one of the fastest-paced teams in the league for a while now, and it just that hasn't been the case so far this year. They're playing at the 16th fastest pace in the league. They're playing way slower. Uh, I think maybe they'll come up a little bit, but I don't know if I expect them to be a top-five team in pace anymore. So I think Harden's still in play at 11,000. He definitely works as a correlation combo, a combo with Clint Capella. But maybe not as high on them as I normally would be. And this is not going to be a spot where I would roster too many Rockets players. And then from the Hawks side of the game, I really like Dennis Schroeder. He's 7,100, so he needs uh, 35.5 fantasy points to value. He's done that so far in every single game this year, including one that he left early due to an ankle sprain. So Schroeder is a really strong play, really safe, a lot of floor and a lot of upside at that price. I think he's one of the stronger point guard plays on the slate. I think I'm going to counter your Rockets pace argument here with their schedule that they've had so far. So they've already played, they they did play a game against the Warriors, but that game had 243 points in it. After that, they played the Kings, they played the Mavericks twice, they played the Hornets, they played the Grizzlies. Uh, In between those, there were two games against the Sixers and one against the Knicks. On average, they've played against really slow-paced teams, so their full-season pace numbers are probably... They're probably a bit skewed because of just the quality of competition they've played against and the types of teams they've played against. So I think the Rockets probably will start to play faster just because, for whatever reason, the way the schedule has broke the first couple weeks of the season, they've played against a lot of slow-paced teams. No, I think that's uh, I think that's fair, and it's a good point. It wasn't something I was taking into consideration. Um, so yeah, I'll say I'll bump up Harden a little bit more than I would have thought anyway. I still prefer Giannis for a similar price. Do you think that's fair, or would you lean Harden? I think I think that they're both kind of stackable games. So, you know, use the one that fits with the stack. And the Hawks have a lot of cheap players, so they're an easier team to stack maybe than the Rockets are or the Bucks are. But just independently, I guess it's really close. Um, yeah, I'll probably lean Giannis too. He's... A little more expensive, very little bit more expensive. But I think your argument about his floor, and there's also less blowout risk in this game. Uh, the Rockets are on the road, but they're still eight-point favorites, and they could end up winning by a ton just because the Hawks are so bad. So I'll lean Giannis. I think both guys are usable, and then I definitely agree with you that Schroeder is a really strong play from this game. So next we have Suns at Knicks. Uh, this should also be a ridiculously high-scoring game. I wouldn't be surprised if... Well, there's one other game I think is going to be higher scoring, but this is the game that I think is going to be the second highest scoring game on the slate. So from the Phoenix side of the game, it's still the minutes are pretty spread apart, so it's hard to know where the production's coming from. Other other than Devin Booker, I think very safe bet to play 35-plus minutes and produce a lot. He's a strong play for GPP and cash games. And then TJ Warren at 5,600. Warren's been ridiculous lately, and I think that he seems... Like, he should absolutely play a lot of minutes at this point. He's coming off two really ridiculous games in a row. I also just think Warren is a really good player. So I would really be shocked if Warren doesn't play 30-plus minutes in this game. So I think him and Booker are the two really strong plays from the Phoenix side of the game. Then from the Knicks side of the game, Porzingis is currently listed as questionable. I do expect him to play. I'm not too concerned about it. Even uh, Hornacek said today that he thinks that Porzingis will be fine and expects him to play on Friday. So Porzingis, I think that 
he's definitely a fine play to 8,800. He's been really good this year. And then somebody else who I've just been really high on the last week or so is Tim Hardaway Jr. He's going to be priced over 7,000 at some point in the season. He's still at 5,700. He's regularly going to be playing 35-plus minutes. He's taking a ton of shots. He gets rebounds. He gets assists. He just is a pretty DFS-friendly game. Last year when he was starting for the Hawks, he was priced uh, as high as 7000 and I expect that to happen again at some point this year. Yeah, he's up to 5700 which is actually substantially more than what he cost last week. I think he was in the mid-4000s last week. But I agree with you. He's still definitely usable and a solid value at that price. As far as the Phoenix front court, I'm trying to figure out how the minutes are going to be broken down there. And it seems like, like everybody it's really plays 20 minutes. Yeah, it seems like it could really be a crapshoot on any given night though cuz haven't there been games this year where a couple of guys have played a lot more? It's not just a steady 20 minutes for everyone every game. I don't think so. Um let me look. Is there anybody in particular you had in mind who I could look at the minutes? Um of? I thought that Alex Len got a, had a couple games in there where he played a bunch of minutes, but that might have been when Tyson Chandler wasn't playing. Or... I don't think Chandler sat at any games this year. I, I guess it could be point... garbage time that's resulted in some of that. So Len Len played 29 minutes one game, but other than that, he hasn't played more than 25 in any other game. Um, so, I, like, I think it's very safe to say that Len and Chandler are both going to play like 24ish minutes, maybe even a little bit less with Marquise Chris or uh, Bender playing a couple of center minutes. So it's just really hard to see substantial minutes coming for any of those guys. Yeah, I think it's kind of a similar situation to the Nets, who we'll get to at the end, where there's so many guys that play even minutes that it makes the team really hard to use. But the two guys who you've mentioned who do get steady minutes are TJ Warren and Devin Booker. So I think from Phoenix, those two guys, you could probably even play them in cash games, but maybe you could take a flyer on cheaper other Suns for GPPs. It's just there's a lot of risk in them. Because we really don't, you can't expect a lot of minutes from anyone. And then for the next Hardaway and Porzingis, as always, I think are always on the table. Yeah, Porzingis has been awesome so far this year. Uh, so next game is the Pelicans at the Mavericks. So the Mavericks last year just played at a ridiculously slow pace. They're still playing at a slow pace this year, but it's not nearly as slow as they were last year. They're playing a few more possessions per game. So I think that definitely makes them easier to target for DFS. DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis have both just been ridiculous lately. One thing they've benefited from is they have a very favorable home score. So there's a lot of games where I've, DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis will be playing at home, and they just have ridiculous assists, steals, and blocks numbers. And so that I don't. it's hard to say exactly how much that goes into their stats at the end of the year, but I, I do think it's at least worth downgrading them a little bit for a road matchup. Uh, I think for GPP, I, I would prefer to fade them. I would assume that Cousins is going to be the highest-owned, uh, high-priced player. Even with a big slate, I think that Cousins is going to get a lot of ownership in this matchup. So I think I think he's fine for cash games. Anthony Davis is never fine for me in cash games. And then Drew Holiday, 6,800. I think that's okay. I, I definitely prefer guys like Devin Booker and Dennis Schroeder in kind of the same price tier. And then from the Mavericks side of the game, just trying to bring up their pricing right now. Dirk Nowitzki has been fairly cheap, especially on DraftKings recently. Yeah, he's at 4,500. So Dirk, is a, I think he's a very strong cash gameplay at 4,500. 
I think he's usable in GPPs, but not really a strong play. Like, Dirk doesn't have, like, 40-point upside, but he's a very safe bet to get to, like, 25, 30 points. Uh, Harrison Barnes at 5,500. I think that he's a decent play. Uh, anybody else? Oh, Devin Harris started last game. He's only priced at 3,200. If Devin Harris starts again, then I think that he's a usable punt at just 3,200. Yeah, I definitely like a lot of those guys you mentioned, and I think I lean more towards the Dallas side than the New Orleans side, because even though Dallas is playing a little bit faster, they're only the third slowest team in the league this year. It's a pace-up game for them for sure. New Orleans is one of the fastest-paced teams, and New Orleans isn't very good defensively. Um, I guess I'm a little bit down on the Pelicans with the lack of the home scorer benefit, and they're they're not that cheap either. Uh, no, they're the Ma- very expensive. The Mavericks players are definitely better values for their prices, but I do think you could make a game stack here and then use either Cousins or Davis. I don't think that the pricing on those guys is high enough where they're not usable, and this could be a pretty stackable game. The Mavericks are only four and a half point underdogs, so not much risk of a blowout, and uh, you you probably are going to want to pair both sides of it if you're using a lot of Mavericks players just for additional correlation. So Drew Holiday with either Cousins or Davis, and then maybe three, four, or even five Mavericks guys together. I think that that's a viable stacking strategy. Yeah, def- I think it is. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I think there's there's cheap enough guys on the Mavericks side of the game that if it stays competitive and if it does end up being up pace, I think it has some stacking upside to it. Uh, the next game is the Charlotte Hornets, the San Antonio Spurs. Spurs playing on the tail end of a back-to-back. This is a game that I don't have any interest in either side of. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, Got to check Patty Mills' price again, though, because he was inserted into the starting lineup for Thursday night. So if he's starting again, maybe him. He's only at 3500 Yeah, I think, I think Patty Mills starting at 3500 is usable. Yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty solid value. But other than that, it seems... Pretty hard to use anyone. Uh, what's the status on Kid Gilchrist, though? Is he expected to be back after being sick last game, or could that be a potential value yeah, situation? Yeah, he's expected to be back, except we don't know how many minutes he's going to play. They might have him restricted again, so I just think that's a really risky situation. So I guess it's not a situation where you want to use him, but he'll probably play some amount of minutes, so you can't really use different guys that might take his minutes either because there seems to be very little chance that they'll play zero minutes. Yeah, and it's still just a tough matchup against the Spurs also. All right, so only potentially Patty Mills from that game, really no one else. So next game is the Heat at the Nuggets. Um, James Johnson was a late scratch from the Heat's last game. He is expected to play. Hassan Whiteside, is he's priced pretty far down at 7,600. The issue is that we don't know how many minutes Whiteside's going to play. He only played 27 minutes in the Heat's last game, and today they said that his minutes tomorrow are going to be based on uh, just his general attitude and how well he's feeling prior to the game. So I think that he's a pretty risky play at 7,600. He does have a lot of upside if we find out that he's totally unrestricted. Then from the Denver side of the game, Paul Millsap has really started to play a lot better, so I think that he's a good value at 6,700. Jokic is fine for me at 8,600. I think that that's a brutal matchup for Hassan Whiteside. Whiteside doesn't like to come out of the paint, and anybody who watched the Knicks-Nuggets game, which might have just been Matt and I the last time that they played. <laughs> if Jokic is left open at the top of the key, he will make that shot all day. Like, this is a game where Jokic could easily get up, like, six or seven threes. And if he's left open like he's going to be with Whiteside guarding him, he's going to make a good, a, a high percentage of those shots. 
So I think he's a good play. Millsap's a good play. Uh, Jamal Murray at 5,100. I, generally, I, I'm very high on Murray, but there are still games where Moutier is going to take his minutes. Now that Murray's price is a little bit up, I think that's a, that's something I'll avoid the risk of on a bigger slate. And then Gary Harris is a fine play at 5,200. So I'm not sure what the numbers say here on Whiteside. I'm not sure if you know exactly either, but from my experience over the last few years of, I guess more so when I was looking at Whiteside's impact on the point spread, he seems to be really volatile defensively, and he changes a lot based on who he's guarding, which I think based on what you're saying makes sense because Whiteside is really good at protecting the rim, but overall he's been a negative defender most years. So I guess if he's facing a center like, let's say, Dwight Howard or something where he's playing around the rim, he can be really good defensively. But against someone like Jokic who spaces the court, he's probably really bad defensively. So maybe Whiteside, his issue is just that you need to see what type of center he's going to be guarding because it can really have a major difference on how Miami plays defense. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. Um, it's more just if, if there's a center who could shoot going up against Whiteside, I just generally think that's going to be a matchup in that guy's favor. Where then if it's somebody like Dwight Howard going up against Whiteside, that's a spot where I'd probably I'd avoid somebody like Howard. So you'd agree that... Whiteside is probably a positive defender against certain types of players, then, but against Jokic, it's probably a really good matchup for Denver's side. Yes. All right, so I do like Jokic after talking through that for sure. Uh, Murray's been around the same price for a while. Are you at all concerned that it could be a game where Moutier just takes all his minutes because the Denver coaching staff seems to give Moutier a lot of runs sometimes, even though he's just not very good? I guess he hits two or three shots in a row and he just ends up playing for a while. Yeah, like I, it, I wouldn't say I expect it to happen, but there's still enough of a risk of it happening that I don't think it's worth pursuing on a 12-game slate. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, definitely not in cash. I guess you could go for the upside if it were a smaller slate too, but the 12-game slate, you really don't have to, like you were saying at the beginning, you don't really have to press on certain spots that are risky. You can kind of find value without having to take much, take much risk because there's so many players available. So that makes sense, yeah. Uh, I guess I'll be off Murray too then. So the next game is uh, Boston against OKC. There's a lot of really good players in this game, but these are also two of the best defensive teams in the league. Uh, let me check the pace stats. I don't think either of them are playing at a particularly fast pace this year. Um, Oklahoma City is playing the 20th fastest pace in the league, and Boston is playing at the 24th fastest pace. So given that information that both these teams are good defensive teams, I think I'm off this game. There's better spots, and all these guys are really expensive. So I just uh, not really a lot of interest in this game, even though that there's a lot of uh, name value players. Yeah, I'm going to assume also that we can skip over the next game that you're going to mention because there's a really low total in that one. But 205 for Boston OKC, that's a very low total for a game with such high-priced players. So that should be a good indication. If you were comparing the over-under to the prices of all the guys, it, it almost looks unusable. And with Boston, too, I guess production is kind of spread around. So taking all that into account, I think, yeah, complete fate of the game makes sense. Yeah, and then uh, next game, Toronto-Utah. That's just going to be another fade for me. Rudy Gobert's had a, one really good game this year. I'm still a little concerned about his production this year. It has been down, and the price is still pretty expensive for him. He was somebody who spent a lot of last year in like the high 6000 to low 7000 range. 
So I think his price will have to come down a little bit more before I really consistently play him. And then just from the Toronto side of the game, I know that they're cheaper than they normally are, but that's just such a tough matchup playing in Utah. Yeah, definitely. I um, I guess the only situation to monitor is if there's any restriction on Ibaka and Valanchunas, or are they full go at this point? There's no risk of them not playing, and then there being value in other spots as a result of that. No, I think they're expected to play in full for this game. All right, so nothing, nothing going on there either. So the Brooklyn Nets at the Los Angeles Lakers. So this game should be just a really, really ridiculously high-scoring game. We just have that issue of what are the minutes going to look like. D'Angelo Russell still isn't playing over 30 minutes. He's all the way up to 7,900, so it's tough for me to pay that kind of price for him. And then I kind of feel the same about everybody else in the net. So they're going to score a lot of points, but where is it going to come from? Maybe uh, Karis LeVert at 4,900, but even him the last couple of games, 26 minutes, 24 minutes, 27 minutes. So even with this being a really just favorable game, a lot of, a lot of points scored, a lot of pace, there's nobody who I look at the Nets and really think is good value. From the Lakers side of the game, I really like Lonzo Ball in this matchup. I think Ball at 7,300 is a really strong play. He should play somewhere in the mid-30s minutes and should be able to produce well being guarded by D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, this game should be pretty high-owned too, I think. Maybe a little bit more so because it's the late-game hammer, right? That uh, usually drives up ownership a the little hammer. bit. <laughs> so um, it could be a good fade spot in terms of stacking. But I do agree with you on Lonzo Ball. So with all those Nets guys probably having a little bit higher ownership, you can probably get better plays for the same prices at lower ownership. And I guess someone on the Nets will probably have a good game because they have a lot of low usage players. So someone could end up with an unusual amount of shot opportunities. But figuring out who that guy is seems kind of impossible. And I don't think it's worth just throwing a Nets, a different Nets guy into every lineup you make. Uh, just to hope that one of them hits. I think it, it's be- you're better off just not using the game and just kind of sticking to Lonzo Ball. But do you have interest in Brooke Lopez or Julius Randle? Or do you think at this point they kind of just are splitting minutes and neither one really makes much sense? Yeah, I don't really think either one makes sense, especially on a 12-game slate. But I do hope I do think that's how the Nets should start selling their tickets. That should go on the poster outside. Is somebody could have a good game. <laughs> that That's the big selling point for the Nets. Um, so I think that does it for this slate. You could follow me on Twitter at GDarenbergDFS, and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense. We have a podcast up for football that went up earlier today, so go check that out. And we'll be back with football, I mean uh, basketball, uh, for Monday's slate.